For many refugees, leaving home was not meticulously planned. Many people found themselves running to safety under heavy bombardment. There is a huge difference between migrating to study or to find a better job, and between being a refugee and not being able to go back to your country, not even for a short visit. The first few days are usually the hardest and most challenging. You find yourself in a new country, most likely you don't speak the local language, and probably you manage to escape with nothing but the clothes you're wearing and the documents you manage to get your hands on before storming out of your flat. I claimed asylum in the UK, at the home office in Croydon, but not everyone had the luxury to come to the UK. I already spoke English and luckily did not have any negative reactions from the people around. But today, I talked to someone from my own neighborhood in my hometown, Aleppo. He was my neighbor, and he was like a little brother to me. Wasim, which is not his real name, was seven years younger than me when I left Aleppo. He was still in high school. But when he was forced to leave Aleppo, it was on the most important day of his life then. Denied the university entrance exam scores were published, and he was the first one of his family to go to engineering school. Well, actually, he was the first one in the whole building. His story shows the kindness and hatred of people when you're a stranger in a new country. To hear more, stay with us. The most important day of a high school student is when the result of university entrance exam is published. Usually the family will throw a big party for their kids if they get a place to go to the medical or engineering school. You would invite all of your relatives, neighbors, friends, you'd buy lots of different sweets and drinks and just celebrate. It's a big occasion. It's a big thing. On this summer day, the Assad regime started bombarding our neighborhood without any prior warning. Before the bombardment of city, we had this, the same voices, the same noise. So uh, my brother told me that, so everyone uh, ran out of home to go and look after his, his children or their children. At this time, we tried to flee the, the home to my, uh, un to my uncle's home in the back street, as, as I told. Uh, but not to have it that easy. As we uh, start to flee home, uh, I know the mortar, uh, uh, the mortar fall uh, too near from me. It was very dangerous. Dangerous. So we decided to go inside a building uh, and escape there till the the bombardment uh, stop. So at, at this time, uh, we I had my uh, nephew uh, with my our my nephew with me, and he he was too scared and uh, How old is your no he was a couple of uh, months but he felt there is some um, thing wrong maybe he was three or four months month uh, but uh, he 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 felt that there is 
a an uh, a problem or I felt he was scared so we tried to give him some milk but that was an empty building first and second floor was empty at the third one there 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 were a family uh, me and my sister went to that family and asked him for the water but uh, they was too they were scared and didn't open the door so we had to uh, to stay at this building at uh, for for all all the night uh, after that we uh, go back to our home bring some things from the home and go to another home that was my last sense I remembered from my home. Wasim managed to find a car to take him with his family from Aleppo through the countryside to the Turkish borders. At that time, anybody could have crossed the borders. Border guards, even if they see you, wouldn't shoot at you. Many border areas did not even have a barbed wire to stop people from crossing. But what would you do if you meet a bus driver who would kick you? yes, physically kick you when you first arrive at the borders. After we crossed the border, I met with a bus driver, small bus driver who uh, will take us from the, from the border to the Gaziantep, the nearest city from Aleppo, to come to Istanbul as my brother, my brother was in Istanbul. So he, he, he was... Uh, no, he was not a, a very little Arabic, but he not all dirty Arabic words. He told us that uh, Assad is uh, uh, if, uh, the best one of, of the Syrian people and uh, he's very good and he was talking about that. I answered him that was wrong and he tried to and he tried to um, kick me. But yeah, uh, my uncle uh, stopped him and stopped me. We didn't know anything uh, from where we have to buy, no, no languages with us, no Turkish, as Turkish people doesn't talk English. In England, when you claim asylum, you're provided with some basic stuff, like a bed in a hostel. Wasim and his family had to choose between staying in a tent at the border area or in a regular flat in Istanbul. But for that, he had to work with his family. So Wasim found himself in a place where he had to forget about university for now and go to work. And a local guy taught him about a sweatshop. We started work there. It was from 8 a.m. to about 11 p.m. And we were took uh, 800 Turkish lira which is roughly around 120 pounds a month for 12 hours a day. Finding uh, a job in Istanbul, it's not that hard uh, for Syrian. You can find a job, uh, job, but you can get a good, a good money or the money like the other Turkish peoples. The Turkish uh, takes about uh, 1,200 and the Syrian 800. So, and no insurance, and it's about a half. You can get two Syrian workers like paying for one uh, Turkish worker. Yeah, but you can find work. You can find work, it's not a problem. 
Getting a well-paid job requires going through applications and interviews. While it was not possible to apply for jobs when he did not speak the language, Wasim could speak in Turkish now. He studied the language and he learned it from the workers around him at the sweatshops. So Wasim started applying for jobs, for good paid jobs, and some of the interviews did not make any sense to him. One of them asked me uh, in, in the interview, asked me if, if we have a TVs in Syria. <laughs> Actually, I was surprised. Uh, I thought he was joking with me, just for a joke, but he was, he was seriously talking. Uh, so I answered him seriously. I told no. I told him we were living in tent, you know, tent. Yeah, and we open uh, a window in that in that tent. And my dad was telling us, "Do you know this? Do you see this window?" And we are were looking for the people. Yes, we see. Oh, that is that is a TV. Told us that is a TV. So he looked at me. Are you joking? I said, yeah, that is a question to tell if you have a TV. I, I don't know what to answer. I left the meeting and went out because I don't know what to answer. It was very stupid I, how to work with people like that if you ask me that TV. Or if we don't have TV, so we need million year, million uh, year to have a computer maybe. I don't know how they are told. And others ask me if we have fruits, apple, orange. We eat maybe... Stones, I don't know. <laughs> Wasim now speaks Turkish fluently. And he also offers his translation services to some Syrian refugees in hospitals and other places. But the stigma of being a refugee is something he still feels sometimes. While recording this episode, we wanted to grab dinner at a Turkish restaurant. The waiter asked in Turkish where I was from. I told them that you are from England and I'm from uh, Syria. <laughs> yeah, they respect you and <laughs> respect me. Yeah, that's the truth. You know, everyone came and asked if you want anything and as I'm not here. They were just asking you if you want anything. Yeah, but I was like a, a party maybe on the table. No one asked me anything. Hosh Galden said to us, you are welcome, but nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I used to that uh, and to feel no respect, yeah. But not all people do that, actually. There are very good people which respect me and I respect them, sure. But sometimes that happens, yeah. Wasim was able to find a part-time job while he was studying engineering at a university in Turkey. He eventually graduated and now hopes to do a master's degree in his field. He's now a Turkish citizen, and when people ask him where he's from, he tells them he is Turkish. This podcast is presented by me, Abdelwahab Tahan, and edited by Leo Sheik. The audio music is by Rehab Azar, and the music is by the audio network and Richard Thomas. The sound effects are from Zaplat and from my guest today, Wasim. Mm-hmm.